Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. Back once again is Alessandro Cortini, this time to talk specifically about three new sets of earphones from Campfire Audio in Portland. Welcome back, Alessandro. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, because it's, this is quite an unusual thing for me or us to undertake in that these podcasts aren't normally set aside for reviews, but I guess this one came about because you and I share a very strong enthusiasm for Campfire Audio's gear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't, um, it, it was kind of, I mean, I know you go through a lot of gear for love of music and also because it's your job, but uh, it was funny to see that, well, funny, it was interesting to see that we both sort of, uh, certain aspects of Campfire Audio products resonated the same way for the both of us. The design, the sound, you know, the, the, the aesthetic in general. I mean, all things that, you know, um, are part of the final product, not just the quality of how they sound. And and, mm. and and I think I think there's not many, you know, companies that sort of approach their product that way these days. And it's really good to see it. Yeah, because I think when we first spoke about them, you and I were both enthusiastic about the packaging, the accessories, the way that the whole thing, the whole presentation of the product as well as the product itself. And I'm still struggling to think of a an IEM manufacturer who comes close to that. Can you think of anybody? Because I can't. No, I mean, the only one that I think of, and you, you know, it's almost unfair to put it in the same uh, category is Sony mm. with the Z1Rs, the uh, IER Z1R, but we're talking mm. about, you know, Sony, which is a giant, you know, and I mean, the package looks like opening a jewel box, really. It's a, it's a different thing, you know, a mm. completely different thing. I mean, to be honest, when it comes to, uh, the ratio of price and quality and, you know, and satisfaction of opening something and feel like, you know, you got something special. I don't, I don't think anybody can beat Campfire. I mean, even because a lot of the IEM tech, uh, you know, uh, companies, a lot of them were oriented towards musicians. So mm. generally speaking, we don't care about <laughs> the packaging. We're just going to put them on, <laughs> pop them on and start making music, which is true, you know, but uh, mm. I think in a market where there's so many manufacturers, I think there's a, it's definitely, especially when we're reaching a certain price point when it comes to top of the line products, uh, I think it's, it's necessary to present them in a certain way, or at least mm. not make the buyer feel like, all right, is that all, you know, there's a certain element of presentation. And I think it's not just the flashy aspect. I mean, in the case of, you know, um, Campfire, I really appreciate the fact that they went from leather cases to uh, to a more eco-friendly packaging. And and to me, that means a lot because uh, it, it's not something that people think about until they see a company doing it. And then they go, oh, that's interesting. You know, and then it becomes mm. more, more common, hopefully. It becomes more of a, you know, um, I mean, everything made in Portland. You know, the case is also made there. Uh, uh, and they're eco-friendly. I mean, I think it's all small things along with the product itself that if you sun them, uh, make up, make a, a great product. So are you, you're talking about the cork finish yeah. case that co yeah, comes exactly. with these new models. Is that right? Yeah. Ah, okay. I wasn't aware of that actually. I mean, I just thought, oh, nice cork sort of yeah, finished it's, case. Uh, it's uh, ecologically harvested cork. Yeah. Ah, okay. So. I guess that sort of directly brings us to the first of the three models that we're going to talk about today. But bef before we kind of get into the Andromeda 2020, I think it's also worth pointing out, we're talking about packaging and then the whole presentation, is that from what I've seen, 
Campfire's packaging presentation is universal across all models. So they don't shortchange you if you're just buying an entry-level model at, what, $300 or, or yeah, thereabouts. You get the same quality and type of packaging, right? Yeah, it seems so. And, and I think, you know, there's also, I think, I don't know if it, this is the place to talk about this, but there's also an assumption of of quality of sound in fang, in function of price or amount of drivers and things like that. And we both know, and I'm sure other people know that that's simply not true. I mean, there are plenty mm. of of uh, of uh, campfire products. Like you know, I know that you're a big fan of the Polaris too. Uh, that are am. based on a much simpler. Uh, recipe when it comes to how many BAs and you know how how many drivers they have in general, regardless of the the kind. But the right. recipe the recipe is so well balanced and make them special to you. Maybe not to me. I haven't tried them, but you know what I mean. Like to other people. But what what you're paying for is that flavor. You know, I mean, it's just as great to go to a five star or or like a Michelin restaurant and get a you know like a. $500 meal as it is to find the best taco place in LA and enjoy two tacos in the middle of the road standing up. I mean, they're just as good. And the fact that one costs a fraction of the other doesn't make it less enjoyable. It's just two different right. two different flavors. And I think, you know, at the fact that the packaging is, is common, I think it also caters to that attitude in the sense that no matter what you want, you'll be served, you know, served the right way. And then it, obviously you choose which recipe you're going to enjoy. I always end up doing food comparisons. I don't know why. But. No, I think I think it's a it's a it's a good way to go. I mean, I mean, you've touched on something very interesting there, and I, I mean, I guess this serves as the backdrop for what we're about to talk about. Is that you and I both have a pair of the original Solaris. Mm -hmm. We both have a pair of the original Andromeda. Yeah. Uh, you bought the special edition Solaris, right? Correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got the I've got the Polaris, which I it's probably yeah, I think it's probably my favorite of the entire bunch in terms of just everyday grab them and go. Um and I have a pair of the IO, which are very are very different again. And I think this is the other thing that people may not realize is that Ken Ball, who's in well, I guess he runs Campfire, voices every IEM very differently. But I th I think as we sort of move up the price range. There is a sort of a funneling towards a what some people might call neutral or accurate or a more sort of balanced tonality because the Polaris is not balanced and the IO is not balanced as much as say the Andromeda and the Solaris. Right. But I think when we were speaking about this a few months ago, we're both raving about the original Solaris. Is that right? Yeah, I mean that was a to me was a was an, an, an incredible discovery when it comes to you know in the realm of of headphones and IEMs. It's just a mm. it's one of those you know things that makes you just want to you know raise the volume and and there I think you know the things that really made it attractive to me was you know the, the fit they just feel comfortable, which I know a lot of people. Don't find them comfortable. Um, mm. An incredible soundstage. I mean, the high end is just super exciting, but not overwhelming. I can listen to you know to to the Solaris all day and not feel like like I'm getting tired or you know or or, or that are too much. Like it might happen, for example, with like the Sony Z1Rs are incredibly exciting, but I could never mm. go to bed with the Z1Rs or just. It's too huh. much. It's too much going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the, the Solaris I can listen to all day, and they have that sort of like 
and people almost think of it as a defect, but I really like the fact that I have a slight dip in the low mids, you know, I, I hmm. like, a, you know, or I would say probably doing electronic music, what people consider bass to me is, is, uh, is mids, but you know, I'm talking about around 180, 200, mm -hmm. 250, which technically speaking would be bass, you know, hmm. but they have a little bit of a dip there, which I find appealing because that sort of frequency to me has always been a problem. I just, I don't get along with it, you know? And right. when, the, when the SE came out, they sort of made up for that. I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't want to say made up, but I think it was more voiced to take, take a, in a, into account that sort of uh, remark that people had made about this sort of like slightly V-shaped tuning. Um, I like the SE, but, you know, I mean, I, I still prefer the way that, you know, the OG is voiced when it comes to between the, the SE and the and the and the Solaris and probably because it was the first one also you know that, that sort of showed me how things could sound you know what i mean mm. coming from the andromeda which was i used a lot for work um it was hard to think that it would be something to be i don't want to say colored but like say very exciting that i could still use to work uh without feeling like it, i'd be compromising the you know I don't want to say the flat accurate, but yeah, the accurate accuracy of it, because as you said, certain certain in ears, um, maybe in the lower price range, mm. they might be great for certain genres. Uh, they might have a tuning that sounds great in certain genres, but uh, maybe that's the one thing that doesn't make them equal to the top of the line is the fact that it might not work just as well with every source. Um, right. You know, the fact that, you know, Polaris may be great. I don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing Polaris 2 is great with electronic music. It might not be great with something else. I don't know. But, you know, some of them are like that. And I've, I've, I've heard that a lot about different headphones, anything really. Uh, and mm. guitar amps, it's always like that. You know what I mean? Um, but when you, again, I guess when you get to more, more towards top of the line, you get something that is a little bit, you know, adic not adequate. It, it works with everything. You know what I mean? I'm, I wouldn't think the Solaris is particularly good or bad at specific genres i just find that i never feel the need of switching to something else if i'm listening to classical or that one jazz record i have <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's interesting isn't it because the the original solaris and the and the original andromeda sound very very different to one another and i know this word gets banded about a lot and i've just used it twice this this idea of neutrality and to me i would say that even though the solaris i think are possibly not more coloured, or they just don't have that sort of, and I use this expression a lot as well, they don't have that squeegee, clean windshield feel that the Andromeda to me do. But equally, the Andromeda, for me, come up short on the low end yeah, compared definitely. to the, the Solaris, right? And the, what I love about the original Solaris is the that sort of big sort of cavernous sound. And it's probably the only earphone that I've ever used that would stand in for a pair of full-size headphones Definitely. whereas i can't i can't say that about the andromeda even though the andromeda is a small ear shell for me that small ear shell is more conducive to going out and about with the original solaris as much as i absolutely adore the sound one of them keeps kind of coming out of my ears as mm -hmm. i walk around right but you, you found a solution for that, right? With some, some sort of custom tips, is that right? Yeah, custom art in in, uh, in uh, Poland. They uh, they made me custom tips um, from an mm -hmm. old pair of uh, you know molds that I had, and yeah. uh, they work great. You know, um, 
People might complain about the fact that they stick out a little more, but not that much. But, you know, people are so aware, self-aware of how you look like when you wear headphones. But, you know, I mean, you probably should be more worried about people looking at you with two pieces of gold in your ears more than the fact that, <laughs> that they're sticking out a little more. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, it, they make them completely, you know, soundproof. They never come out. Like, for example, I mm. usually use uh, the final final ears or final tips the super large ones like the the extra large ones that come yes me too yeah with you know, the, those are, the gray the gray insert right right those are my favorite uh for ev- any any in here uh but mm. you know like especially when i'm on the rowing machine and i'm using either andromedas or or uh or a diaras uh if i push them in i get complete you know isolation but they slowly come out just because mm. of you know sweat or you know because it's rubber after all. And when you have silicone that is shaped to your ear, it's much harder and deeper into the canal. It's much harder for it to come out, you know? Right, right. So I, I use them. I don't use them all the time. Uh, mm. There are still, you know, if I go out and about, I'd rather have normal final tips uh, than, uh, than, but at home for listening, I'd rather have my, my, my molds from Custom Art for sure. And they're affordable. I think it's like 70 euros for a pair. You know what I mean? Okay. And, and they stay with you forever. It's silicon. You can wash them. They don't, mm. you know, they don't expire or they, you know, they're definitely much more uh, durable than normal tips. I think this is a good point actually to make, to make, um, make it clear to listeners actually that even though we're talking about campfire earphones today, we're going to be covering a lot of other things along the way. Like you've already mentioned the Sony mm-hmm. and, and then those, these, these tips as well. So we're going to be sort of darting around and sort of talking about the ecosystem that surrounds um, Campfire audio earphones. So just to make it clear to everybody as well, Campfire launched about six weeks ago, three new pairs of earphones. So we've got the Andromeda 2020, Solaris 2020, so two new updates, and then a brand new model in the Aura. Now, Alessandro, shall we tackle the Andromeda 2020 first? Because I've already given my sort of impressions of it in the introductory video that I put on YouTube a few weeks back. Yes, yeah, sounds so, good. So, yeah, so, I mean, just just to, I guess, to recap on that, I think the improvements to the new Andromeda are small in terms of audible improvements. I mean, they're small. They're just about noticeable. I would say that if you've already got a pair of the original Andromeda, it's probably not worth the upgrade. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I, I think it would have been silly. Ah, well, silly. I mean, who am I? You know, I'm just a music fan, but it'd be silly for a company to to change the recipe too much. In, in that, because yes. Andromeda, especially, I mean, if it'd be the only product and they would be still selling the old ones, then sure, why not? Mm. You know, uh, um, but it, it's such a you know tried and true, you know, uh, recipe, and I think. Uh, if anything, as you say, they've improved it, improved it, and I think the refinement is not so much in the tuning. Personally, I think that mm. it's in the tuning when it comes to, and it comes from the manufacturing process. With the fact that they introduce these um, these three D printed, you know, structures where they can actually yes. mount, you know, mount these uh, mount the the BA, so the, the the drivers, you know, in a very precise way, it gets rid of those mm. variations. In my opinion, those variations that they had when you were placing the BAs by hand, you know what I mean? In the shell right. and then with glue and put them into place, no matter how precise you you are going to be, there's still going to be slight variations. So uh, 
I, I mean, I haven't seen graphs, but I've heard two different pairs of, you know, old Solaris. And while they're mm. in the same same family, there are slight differences. I mean, it's not good or bad, but I think it, it's just normal tolerance, you know. And I think that what we've achieved is the fact that all throughout, uh, you know, Andromeda 2020s, they all sound the same now. I think mm. it's mu- they're much easier to fix, much easier to manufacture for them. Mm. It's what a recipe, a successful recipe should should be and how it should continue, you know, improve the product. I mean, the sound, you can't really improve, improve how it's made, improve the packaging, improve the cable that it comes with. Um, you know, and, and it's still the same product. I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, the, the treble is a bit smoother. It's a bit less tizzy than the older one. Yeah, it yeah. I mean, sh- there are there are improvements, but what I'm saying is, mm. it's not as obvious as as it might be when when you go, you know, from one model to another. I mean, it's still the same. Oh, recipe. absolutely. Yes, it's the I same mean, yes. recipe. It'd be silly to to have it change that much. But right, I always do. You know, the the not always because obviously there's a different impedance and whatnot. But uh, I usually put older model on the left or right and then the newer models to the right and see if I notice any particular differences. It's not really that accurate of a test, <laughs> but I do it because, you know, I mean, first of all, my left ear and right ear are different. You know, I, mm. I, I definitely have more, more damage on my left ear due to, I mean, people think it's the music, but I, I can bet whatever you want that it's actually due to the years and years of growing up on the phone with friends and girlfriends, mostly friends, you know, in my adolescent years of just, you know, keeping your phone up, attached to your you know to your ear for hours uh-huh. and talking those high mid frequencies definitely you know put a hole into my cochlea interesting okay <laughs> right for, ah, yeah. for sure because it's also my left ear which you know i didn't really have anybody to my left right right i understand Mus- musically yeah, okay. yeah so actually that's a, that's a good that brings us to could you should we talk about the the kinds of hardware we use to compare the original Andromeda with the 2020 version. Yeah. So I've only been using my LG V40 smartphone, which has a very decent DAC and headphone output circuit from ESS Labs. And then on my laptop, I've been using the uh, AudioQuest Dragonfly Red. But people will be asking themselves now, why isn't John using the Dragonfly Cobalt? And it's because... I actually find the red a little bit more exciting and a little bit more engaging. It's a bit more boisterous, and I like that in you know for the music that I listen to. So that sort of tends to work for me. And obviously, and it's it's worth repeating though that the Dragonfly Red sounds way better than the headphone output on my MacBook, which we we were just talking about just before we started recording. Is like the Andromeda twenty the Andromeda twenty twenty and the old one as well. They sound a bit hard and harsh coming straight out of the MacBook. Yeah, I agree. But, right. But the Dragonfly sorts that out. So those are my two sort of reference points that I've I used actually with all of these earphones we're going to talk about today. But Alessandro, you're a bit more involved when it comes to getting into DAPs, aren't you? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, my search has kind of, you know, has been narrowed down. I've been through a period where, you know, I... I bought a ton of them used, tried them all, and then sold mm. the ones that I, you know, I, I think it's just like everything else. I mean, the differences between them are very minimal when it comes to sound, in my opinion. There are differences, but they're very mm. minimal. And, you know, the the source, the playing source or the transport is just one, you know, one ingredient, because then depending mm. on the headphones, it'll change anyway. Mm. But when it comes to 
the uh, interface and everything, like the works, I, I settled on Sony's platform. I feel like, mm -hmm. particularly the, the WM series, you know, I feel like it's a, you know, a, I started thinking that, you know, having something that allowed me to do streaming would be, you know, they did it all would be the way to go. So I had something that was Android based, you know, like the, mm. the Astro and Kernel, like last time we talked. Yes. Uh, but then I realized I could do that on the Sony by just streaming from my phone via Bluetooth. Granted, it's not, you know, great quality. It's not, you know, mm. it's com it's compressed. Or I could just use a USB cable to connect it to the Sony and just use it as a DAC. Uh -huh. uh, so uh, obviously I wouldn't be doing this walking around the city. Um, sure. But um, the Sony, I think, first of all, gives me, you know, about a week of battery, which is incredible. You know what I mean? I can li listen at night and wake up and it's still going and it's just, it's incredible from that point of view. The interface is very basic. I have a mm. one terabyte card plus 500 gigs. So it's 1.5. All my music is on it. Uh, mm. It has a balanced, you know, balanced 4.4 uh, uh, connector. And that's mm. how I've been listening. I have a, a you know, um, campfire sent a, a few 4.4 cables so I could just test all the new right. IMs with, uh, with that. And then I use... Uh, um, with the iPhone, when I was walking around a few days that I actually went for a walk where panic attacks didn't get the best of me, <laughs> walking, <laughs> walking around Berlin, I was using uh, two things, either with my mm. Cobalt and the, you know, the camera connector on the iPhone, yeah. or uh, what I, I have an older um, ac access port, advanced, I think it's called uh, Advanced Sound, the company, uh, access uh -huh. port. It's, it, it was a Kickstarter um DAC. It was like 60 bucks, which I, I got as a present from my friends at uh, Stealth Sonics, um, mm -hmm. which is great. The good thing about it, as opposed to, you know, again, it's like, you know, using the iPhone as a camera. Is it the best camera you can have? No, but it's the camera you have when you need it. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing, the same thing for the access port. It has a chart. It's first of all, it's super small. It has a lightning connector. So it connects straight to my iPhone and it also has a charging port. So if if I need to charge my phone while listening to music through a, a proper DAC, I can use that. It doesn't sound as good as the as the Cobalt, uh, but you know, when you walk around, I'd rather have less stuff connected to the phone simply because you know you get in and out of the metro or the bike or stuff like that. It can get tangled, and you know, sometimes yeah, I, mean, I spend more time untangling the stuff than actually listening to music. <laughs> You know, I absolutely agree with you. Like the, the 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 less stuff I can take outside of the house to listen to music, the better. And I'm not one of these people who will take anything at all costs because, as you say, the best gear is the stuff that you can take with you and comfortably. But also, you hit on another really important issue when it comes to sort of portable players, and that's battery life. Because many of them sort of top out at 10 hours, which I don't think is enough. No, especially because that's your phone. I mean, you know, they top out at 10 hours and also they have the same interface in Android for it. So why shouldn't mm. I just have a good DAC for my phone and use my phone at that point? That I, I simply don't get. Sony doesn't have that. Or the KNN8, mm. they have their own system. Very rudimentary, simple, mm. sometimes too rude or too raw, but it doesn't matter because that's all they do. You know what I mean? Um, and the Sony particularly allows you to to play music forever. You know, granted it's, uh, you know, as a class D amp, so that explains a lot. You know, mm. when it comes to battery consumption.
Well, this is why I use the LG series of V series of phones because I think they're excellent and they have the right balance of portability and sound quality. You know, it's a, it's I keep using this word as well, pragmatism. Like I'm always a pragmatist when it comes to audio. So that ideally, I would take out you know a, a high end DAP and then an amplifier and strap them together in a big brick and carry those right because that would give me best sound. But that's insane for me. Like I look at I look at that idea and go, no way. I just want to be able to slide something into my pocket. Yeah, and it depends. You know, like if sometimes like the other day we went to uh where did we go? To Mar Park. There's this mm-hmm. new oh I don't know how new it is, but there's an amazing vegan taco place called Taco Love in Berlin. And it's mm-hmm. by Mauer Park. And uh so we went there to get tacos and then went to Mauer Park for Mm-hmm. picnic and i brought my n8 you know because the n8 has the tube stage and i really like the way that sounds and and it works really well with with the with the solaris and actually the cable that i'm still borrowing from you the the, the untangleable one you know the the solid one and um, oh yeah that's the um that's that's a really old alo cable i think that yeah. ken ball made about five years ago yeah it's yeah, it's it yeah. could be a weapon but it but I, it just feel, <laughs> it just feels good you know it just feels very right. good but then i uh-huh. brought my n8 you know we had our blanket i sit, sat down and it, it was a pleasure to be able to have that with me uh-huh. um, i had it in my backpack but you know if i'd have to go out on the metro and have that probably i wouldn't do that but hmm. and traveling i definitely would bring it with me you know but if it's a, if i'd have to choose one player for every day and everything it'd probably definitely be the sony one right okay well, I, I would just stick with my LG phone, and then occasionally I'll divert I'll to com- a dragonfly. I'll convert you one day. Not so one much. day, <laughs> maybe you will. I mean, you'll, yeah, you'll the, be back. <laughs> the Sony actually looks the most appealing because of the battery life. Yeah, the battery life admit, is I mean, incredible. As much as I love the way the Aslan Cones look, every time I—I I mean, they announced a new one two days ago. Yeah. And I look at them, and then I look at the battery life, and go, "Oh, nine hours, ten hours, no." It's not enough because I have to recharge it every single day. Yeah. I mean, I do with my phone, but I hammer my phone constantly. Yeah, but exactly. You know, so. Plus, you already said it. You already do it with your phone. That's why I don't have an Apple mm. Watch. You know, it's like I already right. charge one device. Granted, you can put them all together, but it doesn't give me enough to charge another device. You know what I mean? So let's move back to the Andromeda 2020, because I think we've talked a little bit about sound differences. And I've, I, is there anything else you want to talk about with that? Because I think we should also detail what's inside the box, because I know that you wanted to talk about, you know, the peripherals, the accessories that you that come with that. Yeah. Do you want to say something about that, Alessandro? Yeah, I think, well, they, they all share the same accessories, but I think for someone who buys their first pair, it's mm. incredible to have those many accessories coming in, you know, like uh, all those tips. Because, I mean, one thing that people don't, might not consider, because all of us already bought a pair or two before of of some sort of IEMs, EIMs, and and, and you're used to different tips, is that a lot of people might not know what it means to to have a good fit. So they might go, they're super bright, there's no bass, without realizing that they maybe have two small tips uh, um, that they're not really creating the seal that is necessary for you to be experiencing, you know, the the mm. product the way that it's supposed to. And I think they provide not only different sizes, but also different materials. So you can get yes. a, a feel for the foam, you can get a feel for the silicone, which, you know, it's it's all very modern, you know, luxuries in the sense that, you know, it used, you remember, you know, the, the, the earbuds that we used to get with a disc man, you wouldn't really be thinking about 
silicone or anything. There was that weird foam around it that would always yeah, come up. You know, yeah, it's pretty loose though. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's, but now we reach such a level of you know of of being spoiled that we can talk about that, which is great. You know, but mm. I think there's plenty of stuff. Um, when you open the package to be able to find your own fit and find a way to make those, uh, you know, those in-ears sound the best that they can. We get like a selection of three different types of tip. Is that right? Two types of silicon, one type of memory foam, which I I personally can't stand the memory foam. It doesn't do anything for me. No. But the the final, the final audio silicon tips, I think are wonderful. And I guess really you talked about the sort of disappointing experience you get when you get the wrong fit. I had that problem for a long time with Campfire earphones until they introduced the final tips. And I had an hallelujah moment. That and then they changed the cable as well. But like that all enhanced the fit and the stability of the earphones in my ear. I'm actually wearing them now and I'm pushing them against them. They fit perfectly and they don't move. Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things. I think, you know, because yeah. sometimes it's either the silicone is too 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 thin and it kind of mm. doesn't doesn't create a seal because you move and it just opens, or it's too mm-hmm. hard and then it hurts. I think right. uh, the shape, the kind of round shape of the final and the, the, the specific density is what, what makes the final more appealing to me and maybe to you as well. Mm. Um, I know people that love the foamies, you know, I, I can't stand the foamies. It's just, they remind me, and we talked about these, those old school, you don't remember or you haven't seen them, but those air headphones or, or that used to be on planes. Oh yeah. You mentioned this before <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah like... I can't stand the memory foam. I just, it, it does n- literally nothing for me. But th- that's the point though, isn't it? Because not everybody is the same. We all have different ears. Yeah. So Campfire give the maximum number of, I guess, opportunities as they can for people to get the best fit for them. Yeah. And I think it's a very, very nice, you know, a gesture from a company that, you know, like obviously financially speaking, mm. I assuming from a company's point of view is not that much of an investment, but I think it means mm. quite a bit from a buyer's point of view to be treated mm. to something that allows you to have all these options from the get go. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I guess if I take my own point of view, right? Imagine if the Andromeda 2020 shipped only with the memory foam tips. Yeah. So I would be trying them. I'd be going, what the hell? These don't fit properly or even worse, I would be misjudging the headphones because of that poor fit, not realizing I've got a poor fit. Exactly. And then then I would have to go out on the hunt for different sets of tips. Now, even though they're super affordable, and I have looked into like third-party tips before, but it's just such a minefield and I suffer a paralysis of choice and then I end up doing nothing. I'm like, no, nah, too hard. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, I would love to try different tips. I know that they can alter the sound very subtly once you've got the the optimal fit. Yeah, there should be some sort of alliance of, you know, I mean, this is just the coffee Mm. speaking, but like an alliance of tip manufacturers (laughs) that, you know, chip in and, you know, they all send, uh, they they pull together to create a sampler, like a tray, you know, like a deli tray. Oh, that would be fantastic. And you pay, you know, like something like 30, 40 bucks or whatever it is. And there's a pair for each one of them. And, uh, and then you order that and you order the starter pack, pack that comes with certain in-ears or, you know, but you buy it mm. once and you keep it at home and you'll always have it. And so you can experiment, you know, without having to buy or f- buy a whole set of medium ones when you realize you need large, you know, or stuff like that. Yeah. Because it happens quite often, you know, it happened to me when you want to, ex- even because sometimes you get bored, you want to hear how, you know, when you're really bored, you want to hear how much a tip 
changes the sound and not only the fit but like mm. the, you know even if you have a great fit if it really changes the frequency response you know what i mean yeah i mean i think it's a i mean that's a great idea of having a sort of like a a sampler tray because if you're only spending 40 bucks that 40 bucks if you find one pair that really fits you very well that's money very well spent because it, can, yeah. it will transform your listening experience with iems exactly okay, we haven't i haven't explained this before have i on this podcast that iem stands for in-ear monitors so these are the earphones that kind of go into the ears not the earbuds that sort of rest on the outer ear but they really go in and i know a lot of people don't dig that kind of earphone but and but then again, it's it's also due to the fit, that one, the tip as well. You know, I mean, some people might have used too hard silicone and they go, I, this feels uncomfortable. And of course it does, because mm. it's just, you know, sticking something in your ear violently, it, it's not a pleasant thing, especially with a delicate part like that. But the, the final mm. tips are definitely the best from that point of view, in a sense that uh, they, they create a great seal if you're not sweating. Mm. And uh, and they don't go anywhere. You know, they're deep enough. They they're not, they're not painful. They, they don't feel like they're moving. Uh, you know, there's none of that. Uh, w- one of the drawbacks of the silicone that I've noticed, like the the the, the custom tips, is the mm. fact that uh, you get little clicks and ticks sometimes because unless your ear is sort of like oiled a little bit, you know, like if it's clean and uh-huh. dry, then there are micro movements that reflect in uh, like creakings. You know what I mean? Huh. So if you're moving around or you're chewing and stuff like that, you get these noises added. The final tip sort of rolls with your ear in a, lo- in a little bit so you don't hear much. Like now that I'm talking and I have the RS in, I'm not hearing any of that. Just, you know, mm. granted, I wouldn't be talking or singing, you know, while while I'm <laughs> listening to music, unless probably it's the, the, the latest Run the Jewels record, which, you know, I'll, I'll do my best <laughs> to, to, to get. <laughs> but probably you don't want to hear that. Uh, well, you know, yeah, (laughs) you know, I think it's funny as well, because also since uh, up until the introduction of the final tips, I would have said to you, look, as good as universal IEMs are, customs are the way to go. And I still really do love customs, but I think a lot of buyers of IEMs are very nervous about going down that route because it's, it's fixed and it's, it's bespoke. So there's no resale value in, in obviously custom IEMs that you just can't do it. So yeah. I think people, people certainly in Asia, from what I gather from talking to manufacturers, there's a very lively used market for IEMs. And so people like to sell and trade and all that kind of stuff. And I think for me, my sort of hardcore stance on custom IEMs has eased considerably since I found a better fit for campfires, earphones. And also I, I keep mentioning the cable because it's, it's much looser than it used to be. When Campfire first introduced their first pair of headphones, the the cable was a lot, I think it was a bit stiffer, a bit heavier. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the internal composition, but it just, it's it weighed down on the back of the ears too much and pulled, sort of started to pull the earphones out of the ear, especially when I was walking, because if you've got the cable sort of subtly moving up and down, it would slowly pull them out. But I think in the last two years, three years, new cable, final tips, has changed my experience, even though, uh, you know, with the original Andromeda, it was the same earphone from I agree. I think it's just been an evolution. I mean, the cable, I agree 100%. Plus, I like a darker mm. color because it sort of, you know, um, it, it sort of melts better with, you know, your apparel. It's not, you know, like, mm. I think the, the the overplayed white earbuds and cable thing is, you know, it's been, it's enough, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, although... But- 
I, I do love, well, I, I guess I do love the white cable that comes with the original Solaris. Yeah, yeah, that you, one you know, I have, but I don't like the ear, the, 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 the guides and the ear guides, you know, whatever you call it, that sort of... bit uh, stiff, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's funny, actually, because, yeah, those sort of stick out a little bit more than I'd like. And you were talking earlier on about how, you know, you don't want people looking at you, but I guess... No, no, I don't both, care. I don't no, either. I don't care, but because we both live in Berlin and there are plenty of freaks and weirdos around, right? Yeah, but yeah. just because we're wearing like <laughs> IEMs that protrude a little bit more from the ear and cables that sort of stick up a little bit more, it just looks like we're about to walk on stage. Well, it does. that's in my head. For you, that's probably a normal feeling. Obviously, for me, it's not. Well, I have to but, specify that I leave the house without pants regularly. So, I mean, people would look at me, <laughs> would look at me regardless of the fact that I have golden in ears and my ears or not, you know, not where just... you live, Alessandro. Like down, <laughs> no. down in Friedrichshain, you could walk out of the street, you could walk down to the post office, go and mail something, and come back with no pants on. No one would care. No, no, they'd be exactly. Like, yeah, they'd be just like, oh, there's, there's, there's an original Berliner. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but Sorry, he, I shouldn't. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you. But I want to add one thing uh, regarding the mm. customs that you mentioned because I agree mm. with you. Uh, but one thing that I have to say is that I used to be, and I still am, when it comes to live playing, attached to having a custom in here simply because in that you know when you move around you play a show as a musician you want to mm. have something that is going to stay in there as long as possible with no movements when you when you move your jaw you're singing or mm -hmm. you know turn your head quickly which is all things that, is, that are very hard to maintain a complete seal with you know mm -hmm. with with tips uh the drawback with custom though from an audiophile or listening point of view from a pleasure point of view is that Mm. Simply, there isn't, in my experience, a custom version of a universal IEM that sounds sim the same as as a as a universal. It just right. doesn't exist. There's no way in hell or in heaven that that's possible. Even something like mm -hmm. the Solstice, which is an adapted version of the Andromeda in custom form, it's not mm -hmm. an Andromeda. It's inspired and it sounds similar. But like it, mm. the, the frequency response is not the same. Luckily mm. to me, it's a frequency response that enhances what I am doing as, you know, bass-centered, uh, you know, performance live. Mm -hmm. So it works for me. Mm. Uh, but it also is, is the reason why I cannot use Universal's live. Universal's shells are simply not thick enough to keep a lot of the sound out. You know, like uh, like I, when I'm talking sound live, it's not like a plane or stuff. I'm talking, you know, subwoofers. I'm, I'm talking like, you know, stuff that you can feel more than you can mm -hmm. actually hear. And uh, mm. if you have something that is a shell that is fairly thin, like an Andromeda or a Solaris, even though it's metal, it will let stuff in unless it's a very thick and dense, you know, amalgam or whatever, or whatever, you know, custom resin, whatever the custom in-ears are made of. So, uh, mm. especially with custom tips, I think it's essential now to, to pay more attention to the universals with custom tips. Custom tips, you can, I can use them on all Solaris that I own. You know, I don't, I don't have to buy a new pair for each one of them. I can yeah. fit them in Andromeda's too. They're not as, you know, as, uh, Snug. stuck but they i mean unless i'm running they're fine and then if you feel like you want to sell them you can you know i mean i'm you know if you want to move on move up to another model you can without feeling like you just wasted money you know what i mean should we talk about some of the music we listen to whilst yeah. assessing before we move on to the solaris 2020 because i'm keen to get to that but i just I guess I would like to share some of the music that I've been 
I guess I'm, I'm looking at the downloads folder on the Tidal app on on my right, on my on phone. Your, yeah. So I'll just rattle them off, right? So I, I've, I've been listening a lot to Plastic Man's X, Sandwell Districts, Fabric 69, Mix, um, a Black Dog EP, Momus's Voyager. So that's all pretty electronic so far. But then I've also been listening to um, first Aztec Camera album. I know we, we talked about Aztec Camera last time, but the first yeah. one, Highland Hard Rain, Smith, Strange Ways, Here We Come, some Thin White Rope, actually quite a bit of Thin White Rope, Bowie's Outside, which I think was the best album he made um, in the 90s, and actually probably, yeah, probably his best album since Scary Monsters, and I don't think he bettered it, or maybe Blackstar did. but um, And then I, the last few days, I've been listening to a lot of Sonic Boom, um, his new L LP, All Things Being Equal. Oh, yeah, I've listened to that. You passed that on to me. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really interesting. And then the, I guess the last couple of days I've been hammering some Granddaddy, some Built to Spill. What what Granddaddy? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, the last album, Last Place. I haven't listened to that one. I'm kind of stuck on just like the Family Cat. You, oh yeah, see that's 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 a very underrated Granddaddy record, yeah, isn't it's it? Just my, like my favorite, cat. but probably you know, like it's associated to a period in my life and my wife's life that we had moved to mm. a place, and it's kind of like it's like a soundtrack of a whole period. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's I guess. One actually, this is something interesting. Is with the Solaris, I had not noticed. Sorry, prior to having the Solaris, I had not noticed how much synth playing um, is on Granddaddy albums. Oh yeah, he loves synths. He yeah. does love them, but I, I, I he's guess, very good at them too. Okay, I wasn't too. Sure. I, I don't know about this, but yeah, but I guess for me, the, those synths stood out more with the Solaris. I, I guess having a a biggest sound stage, and I've, I guess I talked about this in my video review of the original Solaris, is that having that sort of big open space sort of inside your head drawn by these IEMs really allows you to better pick out individual components and really hone in on separate instruments. Yeah, so it's on true. A, on a Built to Spill album, There Is No Enemy is the, the album. I had There is so much cello and acoustic guitar and also a few synths on that album, which I hadn't really noticed before because everything was too sort of smushed together. And so I think better earphones allow things to be pulled apart and separated more. Yeah, it's it's such a magic thing. I mean, uh, yeah. from a musician's point of view, I can tell you, you know, like when when you're mixing, you kind of know where stuff is. From a listener point of view, it's always been like, how can you, you know, before I got really into, you know, specific gear, it's like, how can mm. you as a listener find out parts they're wearing there you know like that you didn't hear before that's bullshit you know, like i never i didn't say i believe it but i didn't believe it but it was always hard to grasp what it meant but i also mm -hmm. said bullshit yes but <laughs> and then it happened with records that i've known forever right you know um with the solaris particularly uh yeah. but also you know with the with the the full size you know the the sony uh z1r full size not the in-ear mm. yeah uh, so it happened with with other pieces of gear where i go oh actually it's true i never heard this you know uh, this specific synthesizer or whatever or this part on, on a specific mm. record one example for me is which is a weird example to make but there's a guns N' roses song on appetite for destruction called my michelle which has a uh -huh. sub bass at the beginning during the guitar intro and it's like i'd never heard that one before you know like I didn't uh -huh. know it was there, or maybe I didn't understand that's what it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it happened quite often, and it'd be great one day to talk to Ken or someone and said, how does, you know, soundstage happen? Because, you know, from a te technical point of view, 
if you ask me how does this synth sound happen, I can listen to it and sort of tell you what I think. It's the you know the the genetics behind the sound, mm. in my opinion, and you know based on my own experience. But with something like soundstage and def, you know an instrument definition or instrument positioning, it's such a like I'd love to know how that's achieved. I mean, what is it in the Solaris that makes it so? revealing you know it's definitely i I used to think that revelation was based the reveal was based on high end so the more you know the nicer the high end the more detail but that's not necessarily true because the part i just described has a lot of low end content it's just the way that Mm. how defined it is in a specific low end frequency they made it obvious later you know what i mean as opposed to just being a rumble yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? Because uh, the the better your playback gear, you know, whatever it is, even if it's speakers or headphones or whatever, is the better it is, the more the more I guess the easier it is to discern an instrument rather than just a sound. Because with with cheaper gear, you can hear the sound, but with I guess with I won't say, I won't say more expensive because more expensive isn't always better, but with better gear, right? That sound reveals itself as an instrument more easily right i mean you were talking about this bass sound i'm talking about this cello sound which for me before was like well there's a sound there it might be a keyboard but it might be synthesized but and also gear, you could argue yeah. that a, a certain amount of this is a combination of what we just said so that you know ut- utilizing equipment that is more designed to pick up those nuances mm-hmm. and also uh, a redundancy in your listening experience but redundancy meaning you've listened to the record long enough to certain let's say, quote-unquote, obvious parts that you've been so familiar with, now they're yeah. in the background. And attention-wise, you're able to concentrate on things that pop out more now because you absorb the other ones, and the other ones you already take for granted. You know what I mean? So there's mm. also that. From a psychological point of view, I think there's a lot of that as well. You know, like, And you're searching because you have new gear. You're sort of listening more attentively. Mm-hmm. But with, with Solaris, uh, I think a lot of it just comes naturally. I don't think, exactly. I don't have to yes. wonder, you know, it's kind of like when I tuned my room, I didn't have to wonder if the room sounded better. It, I was just working quicker. There was less yeah. self-doubt. I, I didn't think, is there enough bass? Is it too much bass? No, I just done the bass, done. And yeah. the same thing with the Solaris. I don't, I'm not wondering if they sound as good as, I, I don't even care if they sound as good as, I mean, I really enjoy them and I just, you know, listen to them nonstop. That's pretty much what happens. Yeah. I mean, at the point of reviewing them, and I guess even since, I would say they are the best IM I've ever heard. Um, And certainly from the sort of, this big sort of capaciousness, is that the right word? Yeah. Where something sounds like internally immense and you can, you really get a sense of space inside an IM, which is a very cool trick. But I think a lot of it is to do with the the size of the earpiece because it's as we've touched on before, and I'm holding it right now in my hand. The original Solaris earpiece is quite large yep. compared to other campfire models, right? Yeah. And I think f- they received a little bit of criticism for that. And I can certainly, I mean, as I said before, like one of them starts to sort of fall out of my ear when I'm walking about, and because I don't quite get the perfect fit at home, no problem. But obviously, out and about, and so. I think that those complaints about the size were why, or one of the motivations for introducing the 2020 Solaris, right? I can Is, see that for sure. Right, because they've reduced the size of the the earpiece by, I've forgotten the percentage. I did. I think 20, 20%. 20%? Yeah. yeah. So it's 20% smaller. 
And so it's much closer in size, I guess you'd say, to the Andromeda definitely um, Pol- Polaris, right? But it's it's still not quite as small, but it's it's much closer. And it's still got the same driver complement, so it's still a hybrid. Um, it still has a crossover. Yes, it does. And I'm just going to double check the driver complement so I don't get it wrong and people don't at me. So, <laughs> yeah, well, because it does happen. So we've got a dynamic driver for the mids and the lows and then a single BA for the also for the mid-range and then dual BAs for the the top end yeah. as well as the tuned acoustic expansion chamber which feature in all of these models that we're talking about today which sort of improves the extension at the top end so we're faced with a smaller solaris now alessandro and you and i have bounced a lot of messages about these this new model through whatsapp over the last few weeks right yeah. because it, they they proved to be quite quite a sort of a conundrum haven't they i mean definitely do you do you want to go first on this and, and... yeah for sure i mean uh, i mean obviously the first love was the original solaris and it's going to be hard to erase that even with a newer yeah. one you know just because of the experience um i would say first of all they're black which to me is <laughs> it's an instant instant buy just because i like black so okay you know obvious, <laughs> obviously mm. that would make them um i would say if you don't have again if you don't have a pair of solaris i mean the, the bottom line if you don't have a pair of solaris there's there's you know no reason why you should be thinking that the old one is better and um, mm. especially if you're f- fear of having fit problems i would think the new ones are a no-brainer they mm. retain the soul of the original ones it's a smaller package it's black uh very hard to beat I personally feel like I'm attached to some to some of the what people considered limitations of the original, which mm. was that sort of you know dip in the low mids um, mm-hmm. that I kind of got used to. And uh, I think the Solaris 2020 is based on the Solaris SE as a design, which sort of uh-huh. I'm assuming they changed the mid BA. I don't know technically what they did, but mm. there's definitely more presence where there wasn't before in the mid mm-hmm. range um, and mm. low mids, which uh, they're not by all means, you know, um, expanded or, or too accentuated. They're where they need to be. But mm-hmm. I kind of liked when there was less of it personally. So um, I still, yeah, I still listen to the old ones more when it comes to leisure if i didn't have the original ones probably i wouldn't even hear the difference you know what i mean i, I wouldn't mm. have something to compare about that's why I, i'd say you know if if you don't own one uh or if you had problems with the fit of the original ones because they are big you know the original ones are big and i know just as many people that love them have no problem fitting them and others that have slight or big problems in keeping them in their ears so it's a valid argument and i i mm. i I can see why they were redesigned because it was the complaint for number one complaint, you know. Mm. But if if none of those are issues and you have the old ones, I I would keep the old ones personally. You know, you see, I've I've really struggled with these, and it's taken me a number of weeks, and I think only over the weekend did I really get a better handle of what's going on. So, because when I first plugged the the new Solaris twenty twenty in, I was a bit disappointed. I thought, oh, these these sound a bit lifeless. I remember Ken messaging me going, look, make sure you run them in. Make sure you run those drivers in for 50 hours, 100 hours. So I did that. And they have become a lot more relaxed in the top end. Mm -hmm. But for me, and I I sort of really honed in on this yesterday with Orbital's first album, the green one, is that 
The original Solaris seemed to have more base weight, more push in the bottom end. Like I'm talking about the lower base. Yeah. Which I think makes them a little bit more forgiving of poorer recordings. They're more of a sort of a universal earphone than the new one. Because the new one, I would say, and this is again my gut instinct, is it, it's it more seems referential. To, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 closer to a sort of reference tuning, as people might say, right? Yeah. yeah. It isn't as v-shaped which i love as you know with the polaris i love v-shaped v-shaped earphones and so the solaris is the sort of high-end v-shaped earphone for me and the 2020 is less so and so when the recording is good then they sound incredible so this first orbital album sounds just wonderful even even now but when i was playing some of the um the questionable remasters that i detailed in my cambridge audio video yesterday they just Oh, the, the the quality of those remasters grates a lot more because there isn't that sort of weighty bottom end to sort of wrap wrap it all in so that I can sort of ignore it, you know, because I've got this tremendous sense of a full-scale production. Right. So uh, I guess if you want something more forgiving, I would have, you know, tried and tracked down an original Solaris, but if you want something more, I guess, closer to... I don't want to say what the artist intended because that's bullshit, but like closer to a, I guess closer to an Andromeda in many respects. And not that they sound like, but closer to that sort of flatter response. I think the newer one is the way to go. But I will also add this is if I'm, if faced with the choice of which one I grab to go out of the house, I will always choose the 2020 version because it stays in my ears properly when I'm walking yeah. around, because it's smaller, doesn't start to sort of like walk itself out as I'm walking. And, Whereas it's, black. If I'm, and it's black. And Berlin, obviously, techno yeah. black is really important, right? Yeah, in fact, very. I'm wearing a black T-shirt, black shorts today. So well, yeah, we're wearing a podcast after all. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I would probably still pick the original Solaris if I was listening at home. But the thing is, I don't listen to... IMs that much at home because if I'm going to listen to headphones at home, um, I'm just going to I'm going to pick a pair of full size headphones. I know you right. and I are different in this respect because you listen to a lot of earphones on the couch, right? With your mm -hmm. numerous DAPs that you have, or had. Oh, I'm down to two now. It's <laughs> up to two. I promise you, Alessandro. By the end of the week, you will have found another one. No, and no, you'll have bought that's it. it. That's it. <laughs> that's I it. Mean, really, I did what I needed to do. I went where I needed to go, and I'm I'm back. It was not meant to last forever. Actually, you've sort of reminded me of something very important here is that you've gone out and done the work, right? It, you haven't relied on, you know, reviewers like me or anybody really to work out what it is you should buy or what it is you're going to like. You've just gone out and bought things used, I believe, right? You buy used a lot, I'll, right? I'll use so I can right. resell. I mean, it's just, I hate buying new stuff that I'm not sure about simply because the waste of everything, the waste of resources of buying something that you can find use for a little less and, you know, and, and, and also wasting mm. money. It just doesn't seem, especially when it's something that I know I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to keep, I'd rather buy everything used and then, uh, pass it on. If it's not for me, especially for something so personal, like either a musical instrument or, you know, uh, listening devices or speakers or stuff, headphones and stuff like that. I, I feel there's an advantage to that. Um, some other things I'd rather buy new, you know, but for the most part, actually, you know what, I'm, now that I'm looking around, I think probably 80%, 80% of my studio is used. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alessandro, are you playing with a ping pong ball with your cat? No, it's the Switch on the 808. 
<laughs> I thought, what's he doing? I thought he's playing. Like, playing with his I cat. was switching the variation switch on my TR808 drum machine with my foot. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is that? Okay. So, I, I, I guess really what we're saying is probably the Solaris 2020 would be the the most divisive of of the three, right? In terms of personal preference. Yeah, I mean, again, if we compare to the old ones, yes. Um, yeah. I think yeah, if I you mean, if you're a new if you're a new buyer, I don't think you should even be looking at the old ones unless obviously budget is a concern and you find, you know, you might be able to find an older pair for half the price, then of course, mm. when I'm a big supporter of buying old new stuff, I'd say test them that way. But uh, um in general, out of off, you know, off the blue lineup, uh, it's it's even hard to recommend to someone one in particular, because you kind of have to try them all, you know what I mean, to figure mm -hmm. out what sounds best for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, also, I think it's worth pointing out that these the differences we're talking about are pretty small. Very small. And like I said to you last week, it's a bit like trying to choose a favorite between Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars and Aladdin Sane, because I'm more of an Aladdin Sane kind of guy, but I know a lot of people would just swear by Ziggy Stardust. So it's, it's kind of that's the, the type of comparison we're talking about here between the original Solaris and the 2020 version, because one's an evolution of the other. And you might prefer the one that came first or the one that came second. I don't know. Um, yeah. And again, it also depends when you found them out, how, we, what kind of mood you are when you listen to it's just, you know, people try to get as technical as possible in general with stuff like this, mm. with measurements and stuff like that. And they all forget that at the end of the day, it's music that is supposed to trigger an emotional response. So uh, at the end of the day, what matters is not how much you paid for them, who makes them and the technical specifications, but how mm. do you feel when you listen to them? Are you bothered by a frequency response? A is a specific frequency bothering you too much bass? Or for me, the low mids, are they bothering you? Then it's not the right mm. piece of gear for you. It doesn't matter if it's the top of the line, whatever. It's if if your three three hundred dollar pair of IMs make you feel more excited and more enjoying the music, those are the ones you should have. But the only way to be able to afford that is either having a ton of money or buying used. You know, mm. I, I turn around a lot of stuff. I'm used to selling stuff on reverb, selling records, selling stuff that I don't use. I have a policy mm. that if an instrument in the studio doesn't get used for six months, it gets sold. Mm -hmm. um, so you know it. I, I, if something specifically this, these days, if something comes in, something else has to go out. You know, there's no, right. oh, I'm just going to buy it all and then figure it out. It's like, so I'm, I'm attentive to stuff like that. But for when it comes to sound, you have to make up your own mind. You got to try them all. I mean, reviews are useful. Like, I think the stuff that you talk about and the way you talk about it doesn't sell the stuff sells the idea of figuring out what the stuff does, which is mm. much better because it gives you tools to you know to approach gear in a personal way as opposed to having to as opposed to being told what to buy you know what i mean well that's it i mean this that was the intent for this podcast this is what i'm trying to do as we're recording um if i'm if i'm allowed to get a little bit meta for a moment is that the reason that i asked you to join me on this sort of review podcast is so we've got two people's opinions but also opinions that have been formed over six or seven weeks of listening and not just sort of a being in a store like you and I have lived with these headphones for the, the three new ones for the last six weeks, and then the original Andromeda and the original Solaris for much longer. And so I think that, from my, in my opinion, allows us to really dig deep into what these headphones can and can't do, especially as we found with the Solaris 2020, which for me took a long time 
to really get a handle on what it is that I think is going on. Because for those poorer remasters, the top end does sound a bit blunted. And initially I was blaming the headphone when I was really should be blaming the master. But it takes time to separate the two because you have to play a whole wide range of music and broad range of production and mastering quality to really understand that or to hone in on that. It's funny that you say that because like one mm. of the few records or you know recordings that uh, did sound pretty much identical in a positive way on both mm. the old Solaris OG and the 2020 were the, the 3D, the collection, uh, the catalog, the, the Kraftwerk catalog. Right, right. Which is probably the most well-recorded and mixed piece of art that I have in my, you know, in my collection. Yes. And that just worked just as well on both pairs. I didn't feel like it sounded better or more emotionally exciting on the OG or the 2020. Mm. They sounded, and that probably confirms your analysis of the situation. The fact that uh, for something that has been recorded well, the Solaris 2020 will, will, you know, translate that the way it was made in a way without, without being flat by all means, you know, they're not flat. No, they're not. But I just I think the original have more of a sort of a more, um, I guess, a more yeah, bountiful, a more, more honey, bountiful more bottom honey, end. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, maybe that. But for me, a more bountiful bottom end that sort of saves it or distra- you know, distracts you from the fact that you know the rest of the recording isn't so stellar. I don't know. Like it's just yeah, that's what I think about that. Shall we move on to the Ara, which is a brand new model? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so for people that don't know, this is a titanium shelled earphone. It's it in the hand. It feels heavier than the Andromeda, even though it's the same. It's the same shape as the Andromeda, so it's more of a standard campfire shape, and it features seven balanced armature drivers. Right, so four in the bottom end, one for the mids, and two for the top end but i think the killer feature here or rather the lack of is not just the boots that they're using to position all the drivers in these all of these new models that we're talking about but with this particular model with the ara it's my understanding there is no crossover right so it's all done with um, acoustic modeling with that boot and i think they allow the drivers to roll over naturally within their sort of mini enclosures inside the earphone so You've got sort of what feels like a heavier earphone in the hand, um, but you d- it doesn't feel heavy in the ear at all, does it? No, not at all. It's still, I mean, I know it's a little thicker than an Andromeda, but to me, once you put them in, they don't feel mm. heavier. They feel like Andromedas to me. Uh, obviously, the titanium look makes them look like they're heavier. They feel a little heavier in your hand, but yeah. you know, we're still talking about very small objects yes. so you know i mean you're yeah. talking about the eir z1r by sony that one is zirconium or whatever it is it's mm-hmm. it's heavy it's a heavy right. you know you wouldn't be going around maybe on a plane you'd use them but it, they're not they're not everyday gym you know <laughs> headphones right. they're just <laughs> too heavy they're too heavy sound great but too heavy uh mm. the r has been my 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 workout and walk around you know piece my favorite one and mm-hmm. the main reason i think it's probably the frequency response even for editing i think the fact that it's a, there, to me there's a little bit of a um two things well it's it's a very 
very accurate and, and flat to a certain extent. But mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a bump to me around, you know, like the the the, the high mids or like one one two k something like that. Right. And uh, it does help a lot with dialogue, voice, and that range. You know what I mean? Right. Because I I love that. I love a little bit of a boost in the in so, in that sort of range. I love. But it. it's not. You know. I mean, hardly ever. I don't think I've found examples. I mean, there are some badly recorded records where the Hyatt um, and and certain, you know, instruments in that range tend to push me to pull down the volume when I have the RS in. But generally speaking, they've been my choice for, for first of all, working, like uh, editing mm. on the laptop. And uh, and also for when I go around or, or like go for a bike ride or work out or, or go for mm. a walk because they're so... I mean, first of all, they're very balanced. I think if people think that uh, you know the doubling of the of the drivers in the low end equals more bass, I think probably it's the opposite in a way. I think it's you know if the Andromeda didn't have that much bass, but I think what the Ara does is is uh, it's more controlled. I think it's it's easier to figure out what's going on. It's by all means, it's not like bass thin or bass shy. Mm. Uh, but it's not a Solaris, you know, when it comes to bass, obviously. Correct. But it's definitely more defined. I think they used, I mean, I think Ken used those BAs in order to, you know, to just to to, to imprint a specific recipe more in stone than it, than it mm. could have been if it was just using two of them. I, I'd come from actually the Andromeda 2020 to the Ara, and the first thing I noticed, even before running and had taken, taken its toll, if you like, had done its thing, was that, for me, the Aras sound juicier and plumper. Like they're, they're not quite as thin sounding as the Andromeda, mm-hmm. right? Even though they have a very sort of similar tonal balance, as you say, there just seems to be more more flesh, more meat in the sounds that they produce. So that ev- the evidence of that sort of squeegee clean windshield is less obvious with the Ara than it is with the Andromeda. Um, and so I absolutely 100% prefer the Ara to the Andromeda. There's me giving personal preference, which I don't normally do, but um, I, I think it's a, it's a much more accomplished sounding earphone. I think it's worth the extra 100 or 200 bucks. So for me, if I, you know, if, if I was deciding which one, you know, do I get the Andromeda? Do I get the Ara? I would save and get the Ara because it just feels like music is more, it makes music feel more substantial, more of a meal, if you like. I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, the only thing that might happen is, I think, what makes the R special, which is, in, in mm. my, for me, that frequency where it makes everything clear on 1, one or 2K, mm. uh, it might uh, be less um, universal. Like In other words, I think there might be more of a chance of finding something that is not as pleasant because it's been badly recorded. Therefore, it might make certain frequencies more like harsher. Or more recordings, oh, okay. harsher, you know. Right. Uh, but if I'd have to pick, I'm of the same opinion. I mean, no contest. I would pick. Uh, I'd rather, you know, gamble those occasional, you know, turn down the volume situations by, but having a much more pleasant and richer experience, spicier experience with the R as opposed to the Andromeda. Andromeda is still cleaner. I think it gives you more mileage in a, in a mm. the longer period of time. You know, like listening. In, in my opinion, because obviously 
I feel like with something neutral, you can listen to it a little more, a little longer, you know what I mean? Mm. Just because there's less strain on specific frequencies or whatnot, you know what I mean? I do, but I also think the Ara has one other quality over and above the Andromeda. And that to me is music sounds more organized, especially when things get very complex in the mix, you know, where you've got many things going on. To me, comparatively, the Andromeda gets confused more easily or things sort of become this sort of mulch. Whereas the Aura is like, no, I've got this, you know, I'll draw this here, this instrument here, this over here. And I, I never feel confused by the sound, no matter what. I throw at it. So like some of those built-to-spill tracks, even though there aren't many players, there are a lot of sort of weird distorted guitar sounds and it can sound very dense at times. And for me, the Ara is the better at picking apart those layers, but not in an obvious sort of pull-apart kind of way because actually it is very together, but it doesn't lose its, I guess, composure, if you like. It doesn't kind of go to pieces. Well, after all, I think it's, it is an evolution. I mean, it's not, you know, an Andromeda, but it definitely is an evolution of the Andromeda. From, from what I read in previous special editions of the Andromedas, some of the tricks or, you know, impl- technical implementations that, you know, are in the ARA are mm. inherited by, from special editions of the Andromeda, which arguably made those special editions not even Andromedas, because some of mm. them had, you know, added, uh, drivers, had, uh, different tuning or crossoverless, which I think the MW was crossoverless. If I'm, mm. if I'm right, you know, the, the M- MW10, the Japanese market. Oh, the mixed uh, wave version. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. And and so I I never tried those, but, you know, and that's what I like. You know, I never met Ken, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that we can be sitting down and talking because to me, it feels like he's a real, like, artist at what he does. You know, I don't think he, I don't want to say he doesn't care too much about people, what people think, because obviously it's a business and you have to care. Mm. But it feels like he's re- like even if he, he wouldn't be selling, you know, as well as he does, he'd probably be still in a room, you know, twiddling and fiddling around with creating a new, you know, in ear of some sort or a speaker or whatever it is. Because mm. it, a certain amount of research and the way the products are developed make me feel there's that, you know. I mean, why would you create something? Madiara is, you know, uh, from the Andromeda family, no doubt. It's just it's different enough or yes. uh, esse- so essentially different that it had to have its own name. You know what I mean? Yeah, because my, the, difference between, the difference between the Aura and the Andromeda 2020 is much more pronounced than the difference between the, two, the two Andromedas. Like it's definitely a step apart from those, yeah. both the Andromedas. And also, I don't know, you know, like they don't, uh, not that I need to know, but I mean, we also need to consider, like, for example, when we talk about the, the, the Solaris or the original Solaris and uh, the 2020 and the SC, mm. I know that they changed, I think they changed uh, the mid driver. Like it was, mm-hmm. a, I don't know if it was a different brand or different frequency response. I don't know how balanced amateur drivers work. Um, so I, I couldn't tell, you know, if it's like changing a tube or it might be something like that, you know, like you change mm-hmm. the brand and also the tube, you know, whatever measurement, you know? Mm. Um, so who knows how much of it? I think it's not, I mean, it's crossover less. So there's less stuff in it when it comes to the design and circuitry. Mm. Uh, there's a you know there's a boot that the other ones I think that maybe the MW10 had I don't know or or the gold had I can't remember which one I think the MW10 had the boot okay uh, and and there's one two more BAs you know so it, yes. it's it's a complete it's a different design and it's an improvement on 
it's like a double cheeseburger instead of a normal burger, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way of describing That's really going like that. Because it's you know, still a burger, it's the same right? Yeah, it's still a burger. Yeah. And it's not like yeah. it's, you know, twice as salty or twice as just, you know, it's probably arguably twice as filling. Yeah, because, I mean, the Ara definitely has more stuff going on than the Andromeda. But it's obvious that it comes from the same. I mean, I think there's also a reason why it kind of looks similar, you know. Mm. I don't think he makes it a, di you know, people will complain if it looks too different or if it looks too similar. So, it, you know, <laughs> there's always going to be the two camps, no matter what you do. But I appreciate that from them, you know, from Ken, the fact that there's always something new coming out and uh, it never feels like it's dragging the same concept over and over. Right. People might say it is because, oh, there's another Andromeda. It's like, yeah, but do you think Fender will stop making the Stratocaster just because it's been a success for the last, what, 70 years, 60 years? You know, what? I just, just no. I mean, why would you? You know, you make little improvements here and there and you'll keep the classic, which, you know, wouldn't be surprising if this is what the Andromeda will become. Like Andromeda Classic will be a design that gets improved minorly throughout the years, mm. but it'll stay Andromeda because it's a staple of Campfire Audio and, and will be forever. But I think for me, the, the, the way I understand it is that internally Campfire changed their design and manufacturing process with this boot and with the the computerized yeah. acoustic modeling, right? So they they move their production to this new system. Obviously, if they still want to make the Andromeda, it's it has to fit in with that new production method, new right. design method. Yeah. So the the Andromeda is going to change. Now if they introduce the sorry, if they keep making Andromedas with that new boot, but don't announce it, eventually somebody's going to pull it apart find that new way of um, the new construction method, compare it to the old one and go, hang on a minute, what the hell's going on here? So I think it was absolutely right of Campfire to call it a new model, essentially, even though it's only a minor evolution of the old one, so that people are aware that this benefits from that new design and construction method. Yeah, I mean, right. first, without even talking about the fact that it would have been counterproductive not to use, or it would yes. be ignoring a cell, I mean, a... A, you know, a selling point. I mean, it's a feature. Right. Uh, yeah. And luckily, it's not a feature that you have to push because not only it's killing two birds with one stone, makes it easier for them to manufacture, in my opinion, makes mm. it easier for them to repair, makes it easier for them to be consistent throughout models, uh, throughout, yeah. uh, you know, units, because when they're all placed exactly in the same spot because of the boot, not only you know, serial number number one will sound, the, the prototype will sound the same as serial number number a thousand, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and from a buyer's point of view, it makes me feel like there's been an improvement that is still respectful to the way that it sounds. So you're not trying to sell me something that you made in China for cheap, uh, and right. it's the same color as the old Andromeda, but it doesn't sound anything. But I'm thinking, oh, maybe it sounds the same because it looks the same, same company, but it costs them half and I still pay over a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but yes, because the things we're talking about here are not cheap. They're very expensive. No, they're, they're very luxury expensive. Products. I mean, yeah, they, they are. I mean, yeah, it's something that, you know, you have to commit to music if you, you just like instruments. I think, you know, there's always mm. people think that it's unnecessary. I think it's unnecessary as much as it's unnecessary to buy instruments to make music. I mean, you don't need to, but I think it's a beautiful thing to be spending time with and exploring, you know, the audiophile world. There's a First of all, nowadays, there's another thing to be said compared to like in the 80s when you had to spend a lot of money or 80s or early 90s to get something that sounded good. Right mm -hmm. now, stuff that even very affordable um, is, I mean, it's very hard for stuff to sound bad. You know, you might be dealing with quality and longevity mm -hmm. before you deal with 
stuff that sounds bad, even the stuff that sounds average, it's definitely not the average that I grew up with. You know what I mean? It's mm. just, you know, it's it, everything sounds good. Obviously, the stuff that costs a lot provides something else. I mean, if you look at, at Campfire Audio, you're looking at balance, you're looking at specific materials used. You look at something made in the U.S., basically, because everything is made in Portland uh, by their little elves there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a, it's a different story from something, and I mean, I have nothing against you know, China, but obviously it's cheaper to buy something, manuf- you know, mass produced there than it is handmade somewhere, somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like I do the same with instruments. I mean, I like the aesthetic of campfire. I like the sound. I like the accessories mm-hmm. to come with it. I like the history of the company, how it, you know, it came from, you know, like the amplifiers and the cables and then evolved into what they are now. Uh, and to me, I have a relationship even with the company, the people there who I really like. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it's all things that make the product more enjoyable. You know what I mean? To me, it's not, oh, I just need, I've never been a utilitarian kind of person, like, oh, a guitar will do, or a synth will do. Uh, and that applies to a lot of things. I like to romanticize things, and I have an emotional blanket on everything, uh, because it makes things more special, especially for something that is music, that, that mm-hmm. eventually will be absorbed on an emotional level makes things more special you know and a lot of it doesn't come from being on a forum which i'm guilty of reading about (laughs) things but that should be just an informative process and one step of it you know Mm. you still should make the effort of maybe you know instead of buying one pair of in-ears new buy two used and then sell the one used for what 20 euros loss yeah whatever you know what i mean uh, but, but you know, and you'll find that, I mean, as I found myself, that the opinions that you found online, I mean, for me, the Solaris was one of them, 2020 mm-hmm. original. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the reviewers, and I mean, you feel free to edit this out if it's not politically correct, obviously, but they were unanimously saying that it's a much better product than the original. And I'm not saying it's not, but the way it's been phrased is wrong. It's not, you know, it, 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 that's not the right way of putting it because there's no better or worse in this world especially from a product from campfire it's just two different slight different flavors but i wouldn't call overall the product as improved i would call a spin-off of the original flavor if you have smaller ears and you like black definitely get the new ones mm. if you want to save some money and you you don't mind bigger in ears and don't mind gold give a try to the old original ones ideally try both and see which one speaks to you the best you know I mean, I agree. I don't think the 2020 is a clear-cut, absolute, undisputably better earphone than the original. I don't think. But that's that happens all. to be 90 percent of the reviews online. If you've paid attention, I mean, I'm not here to cause turmoil. No, but no, but I don't. I mean, I will keep. It this feels in, like everyone. I mean, that doesn't apply just to campfire, and you know, it seems like a lot of the reviewers, the you know, the ones that are in this business just to review as opposed to providing a service they mm. tend to hardly ever i don't want to say you have to talk shit here sometimes but i think the level is so good that taste has to be coming into place all the time and Absolutely, i don't think yes. and, yeah. and i'm yeah. not saying that the, their opinion is not right but i think maybe they put in too little emphasis on the fact that it's their flavor it's not a unanimous the new model is better than the old one because it's it never is it never simply, it's never that simple, especially at a price range like this. Because what are you going to say? Are you going to say that, uh, you know, the RI is $200 better sounding than the Andromeda and the Solaris is $400 better than the Andromeda and $200 better than the RI? It doesn't work that way. No. You know, it's just different recipes, different sounds, and you have to listen for yourself, you know? 
And maybe you're one of the lucky ones or they're where either you find a good deal or you find that you're more receptive and more, you know, resonating with the one that, you know, like a pair of Polaris too, which which will save you a ton of money that you can, you know, spend on something else or in a, on another pair, you know. But I think mm. it's essential to try a lot of things by yourself. But even if you can't, hardly ever you're going to end up with a pair with campfire, in my opinion, or something. You go, oh, wow, this sounds like shit. It never, not hardly ever. It never, it simply doesn't ha- happen. You know what I mean? Mm. It just doesn't happen. Well, I mean, I was, t- I mean, I was talking to John Tahada offline after our last podcast, and he, I mean, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this actually, but he really loves the Polaris, and I think from what I can tell from talking to him, he likes it more than the Solaris, right? I'm not surprised. Um, now, that doesn't mean that the Polaris is a better earphone than the Solaris because John Tahada prefers it over the Solaris. It's just that that is more of his flavour. Right, the yeah. Polaris to him is more of what he looks for in the sound because to him it sounds like a club, and I agree with him. And I guess if you're working in the world of electronic music in the sort of club sense, like in a where there's a lot of four-four kick drums, a bit like your mate Daniel Avery, then the Polaris may be the one that you would prefer out of all of them. I mean, I could certainly make a case for that. You know, if all you're listening to is electronic music with a four-four hit, and you don't really want a lot of um, a huge amount of refinement, but you want that big low end. You're gonna lo- you're gonna love the Polaris. Yeah, and I, I don't think that John. I mean, John's opinion should be, oh, because John likes and you buy them. I think what's important is like John brought up, you know, a, an aspect that I didn't think of, so it's worth looking at as another exactly thing this, to yes. pick from. You know, yes. Think, but yeah, unfortunately, we live in an era, and this doesn't apply just to this, but you know, uh, social media, another thing that took away from us was the ability to make up our own mind on our own experiences as opposed to a and and substituted it with a passive acceptance of somebody else's opinion as our own truth and that applies to Mm. everything unfortunately because if we'd be applying only to headphones and audio files we'd be in a very in a much better world you know what i mean unfortunately applies to everything and we don't need to go into that but you know i I think there's a there's there's a still something special in about forming your own experience particularly with when it comes to gear whether it's musical instruments or listening stuff you know like uh like when i bought my stereo my first stereo here in germany i went to space Mm. hall and pieced it together and it was kind of i was with a friend which shifted with guy and and uh, mm. and the guys there knew me and it was fun because they had directly brought records for me to listen to and it was an experience when i brought it mm. home i every time i listened to it it reminded me of that you know i think also that i mean you t- yeah you've touched on something that's i've been thinking about a lot this week is that the social mi- no not social media the online typey typey keyboard conversation about audio and other things has removed a lot of the ability to have a nuanced conversation about, let's say, earphones, right? right? So the online conversation almost demands that you are with a certain opinion, or and if you're not completely with that one opinion, then you're wholly against it. Whereas you might kind of go, well, I see what you're saying over here, but I disagree with this bit over here. And so I think online conversations almost sort of drive people into sort of a, a black and white mode of thinking. Yeah, because you turn onto the computer to search. You know, you search for an answer. You're not going to leave that computer until you got an answer. Whether you have to make up that answer by just looking for the right opinions that you want to hear. Mm. Uh, you yeah, know, like, like you're never just going to go, oh, I guess I have to find out for myself. You're going to go, 
I think I have to buy this, even though your heart says, I'm not completely sure, but I'll buy this. I know I'll be disappointed, but I'm going to buy this. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that certain, I mean, in this particular case, certain earphones are very, uh, uh, the, the best earphone of all of these that we've spoken about today will depend upon, to a large extent, the kinds of music you listen to and what kind of listening experience you want. Yeah. So it's our job to call out what those sounds are and where the differences lie, but not to say necessarily that this one is better than this one. I mean, exactly. I prefer the Ara to the Andromeda. I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying I'm giving my preference. And if you listen to a lot of very densely packed music, so maybe even orchestral music, then the Ara may be the better choice because it'll pull it apart better. But f for example, if you listen to a lot of sort of shittier source material, a lot of questionably done remasters, then the original um, Solaris might be the way to go. If you want the original Solaris's flavor, but a, a bit more of an analytical approach, a bit less sort of low end to sort of round it out, then the Solaris 2020 is probably going to be your choice. But if you really want oodles of you know, low end and a big thumping sound and a kind of a warm top end, then you'll want the Polaris, right? So do you see what I'm, this is? Uh, this is, I guess it's the way I see my job is to talk about the way I hear things, but not to ascribe too much value to them because your value isn't my value and value is heavily nuanced as you've just if you've pointed out you know for you value isn't just about the product itself and what it does but it's the whole story that surrounds that product now for somebody else they might not give a shit about that story they just want the earphone yeah and it's just as them, valid right yeah it's just as valid right so again it's just about calling out these differences and often you know, trying to, as you said, you said before, at this at a certain price level, you know, if we're talking about, I don't know, all speakers at 2,000 euros, you know, loudspeakers, trying to find the best at 2,000 euros is a fool's errand. But you right. might be able to find the the one with the sort of best imaging or the one with the, the best controlled low end or the one with the, the most refined top end or the one where the vocals pop the most. But there won't be one that does the best of everything for you. It's a matter of like honing on, honing in on the qualities that you like, and right. then locating your best, right? Yeah. But the online conversation is sort of forcing people into sort of an an everyman best, an absolute best for everybody. It's sort of trying to funnel people into that. And if you don't agree, then somehow you're in the you wrong. Know, yes, you're wrong, or you're confused, or you're a shill. Or yeah, your, your ears you know, are bad. Yeah, you, yes, exactly. Your ears <laughs> are bad, or whatever. You know, any excuse other than well, actually, this com this conversation might be more nuanced than we first thought, and you know, we need to dig in deeper than just good or bad. This blows that out of the water. This destroys that, which I think is in, in inane. There are there are those are inane things to say because it isn't ever that black and white. Deciding between two different earphones, four different earphones, is never ever a black and white um, situation. Same with speakers, same with apps. Like any, again, I hate to bring no to bring. I don't hate it, but to me, it always it still goes back to the emotions. You know, like everything that is connected to human emotions, whether it's music, food, friendship, love, all these things cannot mm. be 
black and white. There never will be. And they will be extremely personal. Right. Because, uh, you know, uh, it's like we're trying to teach people that never ate that, you know, that uh, that since this steak is the most expensive, it's the best thing. And you haven't even figured out you want to be vegetarian yet. And they still feed mm. you just steak. It's the same thing. You know, like you basically having someone else decide for you for what's good and what not and just with everything else it's like someone would tell you you have to hang out with them because those would be good friends for you it's just it doesn't work that way you know people you gravitate towards people that you have connection with and with mm. music is exactly the same thing just when you choose the bands when you grow up because a friend of yours older maybe was listening to something that you that he liked and you really looked up to them and and, and end up inheriting some records from you know like and those things are very emotional and they are the formatting for how you're going to be receiving the music, mm. the art, everything, life. And the same applies to what we talk about. Audiophiles are very luxurious in the sense that not everybody gets into it because it seems like a, a very peculiar thing to be, you know, spending time with. But at the end of the day, you're just honing and perfecting the way of receiving a shot of emotions, you know. Mm. And uh, I think it's a very personal uh journey you know i know plenty of musicians that are you know they don't care about it and they still enjoy music just as much as i do i know quite a few that i sort of indoctrinated and go i can't believe that i spent so much time not paying that much attention uh-huh. uh um i don't know many that have lost touch with reality and just lost all their money and gear but i'm sure some of them will eventually appear um, but you know, it's, it's just very subjective. I mean, long story short is very subjective. And I think everyone should be trying as much, as many things as they can. Mm. And in the case of campfire, I think it's, they're all winners. I mean, I don't, I think, you know, the packaging, uh, all throughout the family is the same. So I don't think you'd be getting more or less from a quantitative point of view yes. when you buy one or the other. It's more about, you know, also, you can also look online and feel what feels good looking at. I think that's much better than reading a review about it. You know, like you feel like, a, I mean, the visual connection to a product that has to be a, a you know, a, 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 you know, a means to transport emotions for you. It's just as important as the way that it sounds to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Well, also the so, visuals of something you wear, because we wear yeah. headphones, earphones, they're on our bodies, right? So the aesthetics do matter. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, that's why more so than a like an, uh, a loudspeaker system that I'm looking at in front of me here, because I don't have to wear that. I leave the house. It doesn't come with me, but right. my portable audio gear does. So it needs to sort of, it needs to talk to me in a visual kind of way because I need to be, I need to feel comfortable putting it in my ears and I guess on a subconscious level, not feeling like I look like a complete freak because there are certain earphones that I have worn out in the street and I've loved the sound and I'm not going to name them, but I'm pretty sure people can guess what they are. Um, where I've felt a bit self-conscious wearing them, you know, they're sort of open back and they look a bit like a tie fighter, not going to name them, but people know what they are. So I, I, I need to make sure that for me, I, I feel like they, they're part of my sense of fashion as limited as it yeah, is I mean, right at the end you of know? the day you're still listening to music and enjoying music so i mean yes. who enjoys music i mean i'm sure if you don't have names we know there's somebody that will enjoy what i'm about to say but who's going to enjoy music in the middle of the park while people looking at them naked no one will last thing you want to do is listen to your favorite record you just want to hide 
You know what I mean? Mm. So you want to feel comfortable and feel like you're wearing something or, or, you know, that you feel comfortable in. It's just like clothes. It's the same exact thing. So if the headphones don't feel comfortable they, they, or they look weird or you feel looked at, I mean, then how are you going to be able to enjoy something as pleasant as music? Because you'd be thinking about other stuff anyway, you know? Just for some context here, just so um, listeners know, Alessandro, in the Tear Garden, which is not too far from where I live, it's an enormous park. It's a bit like Central Park in New York or whatever, that kind of thing. There is an area where people go and sunbathe naked and it's perfectly legal. It's perfectly normal. I think Germans are very okay with sort of yeah, yeah. communal of nakedness, right? Do that. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just to the tear garden, but it's that's you know, what I've seen cycling past. Mm-hmm. But so I, I don't want people to think, <laughs> people to think, you know, who would ever sunbathe naked in the park? Because here it does happen. Yeah, so yeah. it's this is not the uh, the prudish country that say the UK or the USA is or even Australia. Like it's just you know, it's pretty open here. So I'm sure there would be people have you ever, to, yeah. <laughs> I was on a bike ride once, <laughs> you know, like using Commute, which is this app to sort of routes, you know, yeah. uh, b- bike ride routes for you. And and it was somewhere in the, you know, kind of the woods by the <laughs> the water. Uh-huh. And it was like a, in between like, you know, uh, bamboo things. And, and all of a sudden this naked couple comes out <laughs> of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> what, just walking around? Walking around, it was a there was a beach right there. I didn't know, and I'm just like with a bike, you know, like electric bike, just going around and trying to be all pro and stuff. And like, what the hell is going on here? I cycled through the Tiergarten about three months ago, and there were quite a few people about, maybe twenty people in the sort of immediate surroundings. And there was one guy walking towards me, and he was naked apart from what I guess you would loosely describe as a sock that he was wearing over his penis. And that was Red all he was wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite band. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he was just like just walking along like it was nothing. And the thing is, in this city, it, it is nothing because no one cares, which is what makes it such a wonderful place to live. Yeah, because you can let it all literally hang out if you want to. So I guess this is also the place for weird looking headphones if you have them. But, Definitely the place to have them. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever listen to your own music and also Nine Inch Nails' music when you're assessing gear? Yes, definitely. I mean, particularly, usually, my, I mean, I've listened um, to my last record because arguably was the, the you know, the thing that I've listened to the most hmm. uh, in the last year because I worked on it and on the record I made. I listened to the record I made with Daniel Avery as well, mm-hmm. just because it was such a fresh experience with working on it and mixing my own record. So they were very fresh. And there are certain Nine Inch Nails recordings that I'm very attached to mm-hmm. that, I, uh, that uh, I use as a reference. You know, like it, it, it's, it's always um, like I know how they sound and how they're supposed to sound. So it's very easy for me to, to spot uh, mm. nuances or differences according to the headphones that I use. So, yeah, for sure. Would you care to share what those Nine Inch Nails recordings for nine, are? Oh, for, for Nine Inch Nails, it's definitely the Wit Teeth record because it was the record uh, that I'm personally more attached to because it's the record that was completed when I joined the band. Mm-hmm. So it has, you know, I had a, a specific meaning for me, and particularly the song "All the Love in the World," which is the first song uh-huh. on the on the record. Um, that's definitely, I would say, and then stuff from. Uh, um, from pr- f- stuff from from the Wish 
uh, I would say uh, the song Last, definitely. Uh-huh. So from the bro- from Broken. Yeah, know, okay. From the, uh, from the Broken EP, so Wish, Last. I mean, things that sound pretty in your face, you know what I mean? Um, right. I mean, do you, have, uh, do you ever go back and listen and think, oh, I wish we'd done that differently, or we should have, you know, not compressed that mix quite so much? Or... Oh, well, I mean, for Nine Inch Nails, those are all records that happened before I came in. Yeah. So, uh, um, of the stuff that I worked on, uh, no. I mean, everything was mixed by Alan Mulder. Oh, uh, right. Okay. You know, so, I mean, that, uh, you know, I could try all my life to find something that I even, not even think it's bad, that I disagree with, with his decisions <laughs> in mixing. And I can assure you that would never happen because I have such an affi- affinity with the way that he translates uh, trans, you know, um, vision, trans Atticus's vision into a mixed product. So mm. when it comes to my stuff that I mix myself for several reasons, uh, listening makes me, it, yeah, makes me doubt certain things and wish that I've gone back. But also that would happen. I think it happens to everyone with their own particular art. I don't think, I think the moment you finish it, it's not finished, but you, you, you're happy enough with it and it's ready to go. But the moment it's out, you're already working on something else that I'm not saying is supposed to be better, but, but in a way, takes in consideration what you've done before and either embellishes and perfects it or, you know, or improves on it from one aspect or the other. To me, it's definitely the mixing and general sound approach, not necessarily the content. Mm. I found that that's an aspect of, of what I do that is becoming more and more important, both from a listening point of view and an execution point of view with, with the mixing and, and gear that I use to make the music. Have you ever heard of that quote that says, art is never finished, only abandoned? Yeah, I mean it's it's true. I mean, you, true, I don't yeah. think, yeah, I, I don't think anyone goes back to their to the stuff that they've done ten years ago and go, oh, that was it. I think everybody is able to go back to their stuff and go, uh, there's value in that. And I recognize the person, an artist or musician that I was back then. Yeah, but I don't think anyone identifies with the work that they've done years ago or previously because otherwise, where's the I don't want where's to call it progress. Yeah, yeah where's the, exactly that. Yeah, it's not a progress. Where's the path? Where's the you yeah. know? Where's your journey? I think it's more the journey. I think that makes it interesting. You know? Yeah, I mean, I go back and read some of the things that I wrote three or four years ago, and I cringe a little bit. Not on all of it. Some of it, I go, "Oh, that was pretty good." But sometimes I'm like, "Ah," uh, and I even look back at videos from you know six months ago and go, "I wish I." done that thing there or not done that other thing you know so i guess the benefit of hindsight is always a, a personal challenge to just you have to accept what it is that you've done and know that you cannot change it yeah um, you know i mean it's it, this would be a completely you know separate discussion which i'm happy to to just you know dip into very quickly here but it's you know it, if you think about it the, the problem with you know the platform that you've chosen or the, the preferred ch- platform is that makes very little difference between something that you've done four years ago and something mm. that you've done now in the sense that to people they watch it today and it's mm. not like we were used to be on tv where you know we might have watched something four years ago because it showed four years ago it was a season four years ago mm. and now we're on season five so it'd be harder to notice the difference between season one and five. You know, like yeah. do you remember, for example, one example that I always, that I always make that comes to mind is the Simpsons. Uh-huh. You didn't think how rough the first season of the Simpsons was until you look at season 10 or whatever, and then go back to season yes. one. Same with South Park. Yeah. You don't think ex- about it because yeah, yeah. at the time it, it wasn't there. 
Uh, right. But now, now almost makes it hard to look at the originals right. because they're so unpolished, so raw, that it's very hard to appreciate them the same way you did when you knew less about it. Right. But the problem with today's technology is there's accessible uh, with the same speed and the same efficiency, no matter when it was made. So mm. that sort of path, that sort of like evolution has to be forced. You know, you have to indoctrinate yourself to experience things in a certain order because otherwise there's no timeline anymore. There's no mm. timeline to everything. There's Timeline doesn't exist. Timeline is something you create for yourself. And we're all going to die. <laughs> we're definitely finishing now, Alessandro. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. And hopefully you'll join us again in a future episode down the line. I'd love to. Thank you so much, John. You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko, and today's guest, Alessandro Cortini. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt. Ben Pitt.